One thing I want to start off with today, I want us to um, welcome, but before we do, I want to tell you who we're talking about, our brothers in the faith who are in Pakistan. We have a group every week that's meeting together, that's right, in Pakistan, and it's a small little gathering uh, right now, but we're praying that it continues to grow, but we have some men who have been called to that area to serve, um, not just as missionaries, but to serve in our military, but they're going as missionaries, and as they are there, they are connecting with others who are uh, intrigued by Jesus, want to know more about Christ, and also there are some uh, Christ followers that have joined the fold as well. And so every week they're listening in to these messages. So I just want to say, hey guys, how's it going? We love you. We're praying for you. We hope that you hear this message as well as us today. And uh, we just want to show our love and encouragement to you today. So can we do this church to these who are over across the way? So we encourage you, brothers in the faith, to continue to persevere and know that you are not alone. We are praying for you, and we are so grateful that God has you in that land. And I hope that you, church today, are grateful for where God has you in this place. And as we hear the word of God, as we come to a close, we're, we're finishing our seven woes series. So we will be on the seventh woe today, and we are looking at liars and murderers. It's interesting when we say liars and murderers that we're, we're quick to think about other people, but I want you to quickly think about yourself when we talk about liars and murderers, and you would go, why would you equate me to a liar or a murderer? Well, we're going to find out in this text. And just like we've gone through all the seven woes uh, up until this point, as we get to number seven today, we look at the Pharisees and we look at the scribes, and we have this tendency to go, shame, shame on you. Man, you guys were way off. You completely missed it. And Jesus had to put you in your place. But as it's often the case when we open up the Bible and we, we hold it in front of us, it acts as a mirror. And may we see our reflection in this passage today, where we act as the liars, where we act as the murderers. But there is a good hope in the end, and may we see this today. So read with me. We're in Matthew 23, starting in verse 29. If you do not have a Bible, look in front of you. There is a pew Bible. You may take that and use it today, and not only just for today. If you need a good Bible translation, we Enjoy the English Standard Version. You may take that as your own and study it diligently, we hope. So Matthew 23, starting in verse 29. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in the shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous bloodshed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you 
were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So with this seventh woe, we are reminded of the first six woes. The first one we looked at was the shutting of the door, where the scribes and the Pharisees, they stood in the way. Basically, they were rejecting Jesus, so they were keeping people from coming into the kingdom of God, as it was seen. The second woe was the false identity. We saw that it could be a good measure for you to go across the land and sea to make disciples and to be missionaries, but you could, in that good merit, still go and make false converts, as they were doing. There was a false identity through their false converts. The third woe was evading the truth. They were very creative in how they could be dishonest and how we are a people who can be very creative in being dishonest. The fourth woe was working but not abiding. They had all the works, but they were not abiding as God's children. They were not abiding in Christ. No, they were denying Christ, denouncing Christ. So they had rituals over relationship. And then the fifth and sixth woes, which we looked at together last week, we saw that they were dirty and decaying from the inside out. They were dirty in the inside, clean cups, clean plates on the outside. Everything looked good and precious on the outside appearance, but in the inside they were dirty. But not only that, they were whitewashed tombs. They took great care of the tombs. Every year they would whitewash the tombs so people could see them and not step on them and be declared dirty, unclean. But although those tombs looked nice and white on the outside, in the inside there was decay, there was rotten bones. Now we come to the seventh woe. As last week, he reminded them that you look good on the outside, but on the inside, you're dirty and decaying. This week, we see that they're liars and murderers. But this doesn't look like it from the outside. From the outside, they look noble. They look honorable for what they are doing. For here's what we see. There was a presentation of righteous activity. That's why they were so well disguised in their hypocrisy. But Jesus sees straight through the act. He says, you know, you have all these acts that you do, and they appear to be righteous. For you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous. Now, Jesus moves from calling them whitewashed tombs, which I'm sure they appreciate uh, not being called anymore names, but then he goes on and calls them hypocrites once again anyway. And then he refers to the tombs of the prophets, the monuments that were built to remember these prophets that we see in the Old Testament who were faithful to proclaim God's word. Many of you saw this today in your community groups as you're studying in the book of Hosea, that prophets would proclaim the truth of God's word. And many of them lost their lives for it. And so there were tombs and there were monuments to remember them. And it was the tradition that they would decorate and they would protect and they would build up these tombs so they would be strong and and recognizable to all of those who looked in. Building tombs and decorating monuments was not a wicked custom in and of itself. In fact, it was a very good thing. Outwardly, again, this appears to be an honorable, noble task. And after all, I mean, we appreciate the opportunity to visit memorials, don't we? To go and see sites where we can remember those who have gone before us. As those of us who are in the United States, we like to remember those who have gone before us in battle. 
Maybe you've had the opportunity to travel over to Hawaii. As I say, my wife and I, we took our very best trip as our very first week together. Uh, We had a gift to go to Hawaii for our honeymoon, and while we were there, we went to Pearl Harbor. One of the most sobering moments was sitting in the theater, and as I'm sitting there and I'm watching a film on Pearl Harbor and the attack on Pearl Harbor, um, I'm sitting right beside a, a Japanese man. And we're both watching the same film. We're both watching history together. And I couldn't help but think, wow, how does he look back on this moment? And does he understand how I look back on this moment? And here we are today sitting side by side. But then an even more sobering moment was when we went out onto the boat and into the water, onto the water and over to the USS Arizona. And as we're looking over, there we are remembering these men who are still trapped inside of this ship. A ship which was meant to float, to, to go to war, to go to battle. It's now a grave, a memorial. You can't help but pay your respects when you see this. And you're thankful that people have gone to the extent of keeping this up, preserving so that we can remember when we go to a place like this. Or Arlington Cemetery. How many of you have had the opportunity to go to Arlington and just been absolutely overwhelmed by the amount of graves that you see? And it's a big place. In fact, we took some students up there uh, for Student Leadership uh, 201 with Jay Strack. And while we were up there, um, they said, now listen, it's easy to get lost here in Arlington Cemetery. Okay, so try to stay with the group. And we're like, we know, we know, we know. It's bad when you're a student pastor and chaperone and you get lost. (laughs) And we got lost in this place. And it was even worse that the guy I was with when we got lost was a history teacher. All right? So I'm not going to tell you where he was from. I won't expose him. His name's Mark Kirksey. But anyway, as we were uh, there, we are looking around, and we're lost. We eventually had to ask some guys driving a truck, hey, can we hop on the back of the truck with you? And they said, no, insurance purposes, whatever. I'm like, please, man, come on. Finally, we found our way to where we needed to go. But the point is that such a big place, and so many who were remembered for giving their lives. But the most sobering moment there is when you're standing there at the tomb of the unknown soldier. And there's always someone to keep in guard 24-7. And to all of our young ones, if you have not been to Arlington, it is worth the trip just to see this sight. Because these men march in front of this tomb. And there's never a break. They always perfectly plan it to where they can replace each other. And they live in barracks where it takes up to eight hours to prepare to go out and work to guard this tomb of the unknown soldiers as we pay our respects for those that we don't know their names, but we remember them who went forth in battle. And to see the the time and the diligence in every precise step, 21 steps this way and 21 steps this way, and a pause, 21 seconds to look at the tomb. Man, it's, you, you just watch in silence, but you're amazed. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with honoring that moment. In the same way, if you've been to the beaches of Normandy, where you can remember D-Day, and you can walk into craters, which are 30 and 40 feet deep, and you're looking up and you're going, wow, this, this happened. There were 17 and 18 and 19-year-old young men. We don't call them boys. Men who 
jumped off boats and ran into fire. And you remember the sacrifice in those times. Yeah, we, we appreciate the time to remember and to reflect. And we could go on and on about many of the monuments and graves that we can look upon. And in the same way, they remember the prophets. They remembered them for their sacrifice. And they honored them. But it was a game of charades. And we talked about this when we began this series of the seven woes. We said, avoid the charades, because that's all it was. Yeah, they remembered the names of these prophets, but they did not want to remember the words of these prophets. Yeah, they took care of their graves, of the monuments, but they could have cared less about their bodies when they were alive. And so, it's not an immoral practice to take care of tombs and monuments. But as we've seen in the previous words, their minds were immoral and wicked. And this is what Jesus sees. He calls them out beyond their actions to their motives. And it's in the next statement that Jesus reveals the debased mentality of the scribes and the Pharisees. He says, yeah, you picked your person, your place, your thing, and you're acting this out. Everybody's seeing you, and man, they think you're righteous people. But I'm about to expose you for this game of charades that you are playing. So the second thing we see, it was all a deception stemming from a wicked mentality. So we can have these actions, we can have this righteous activity, but what does it mean if it comes from a wicked mentality, a wicked heart? Saying if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Here we see that the scribes and the Pharisees were fully convinced, fully convinced that they were different from their forefathers. They're saying, we're not like them. If we lived back in the day of these prophets, we would have honored them. We would not have killed them. And this is what they truly believed. They convinced themselves that they cared for these prophets and that they loved these prophets and that they would take care of the monuments and the tombs. As if these actions were enough, but yet in the heart we see something completely different. What do we know about these prophets? Well, we, we learn a little bit of their lives in Hebrews chapter 11, starting verse 32 through 38. And what more shall I say, for time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who, through faith, conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better Life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And the scribes and Pharisees said, if we were there in that day and time, we would not have done these things to them. But no, they were identical to their forefathers. They may have not been connected 
biologically, but heretically, the apple did not fall far from the tree. They looked just like them. And yet they had fooled themselves. They had convinced themselves that they were different than their forefathers. That they were cut from the same cloth of Adam, the first Adam. And here is the second Adam standing before them and saying, you would have killed them the same. And he says, you want some witnesses? You want to call in some witnesses here? You are the witnesses. Well, I don't have to go get witnesses. Jesus isn't calling other people to come and give a witness against these men. They themselves are the witnesses for what they're saying and how they are acting. They didn't need accusers. They accused themselves. Had they lived in that time in history, they would have approved of the bloodshed. They would have been the ones throwing the stones. And yet here they are taking care of the stone monuments. Before the scribes and Pharisees, the prophets were tolerable and honored as long as they couldn't talk. Now, isn't that something? That you can honor someone, that you can remember someone as long as they can't talk back. As long as they don't have words towards you. It's all about your words about them. And we do this with those who have gone before us. We choose to only remember the good things. Whether it's military leaders, whether it's saints, we only focus on the good things of their lives. And we say, we don't make people like that anymore. But no, they, they're just like us. They're just like us. And so these crooked leaders were masters at twisting the words to fit their lives, the words of the prophets. They would teach, but they found a creative way that when they would teach as if they were living by these words. And Jesus says, no, you're not. Because you're not, you stand witness against yourself. So they had no problem with the prophets. So they thought, this is what Matthew Henry says. He says, carnal people can easily honor the memories of faithful ministers that are dead and gone. Because they do not reprove them, nor disturb them in their sins. They can pay respect to the writings of the dead prophets, which tell them what they should be, but not the reproofs of the living prophets, which tell them what they are. So as long as the prophets were silent, or they could put words in the mouth of the prophets, they loved them, they honored them, they paid their respects to them, but they were no friends of the prophets of God, but foes, enemies, and murderers. That's who they really were. These religious men, get this now, these are religious people we're talking about. Outwardly, they look godly. They focus on the outside just as many times we focus so much on making sure the outside looks good while neglecting the inside of us, our spiritual makeup. How do we know this? Because Jesus knows. That's how we know this. This is who's addressing them. Remember who's addressing them. Jesus. That's how we know that these men are wicked. And once again, he calls them out. And he says this. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? 
Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous bloodshed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. So here's the next thing that we see. Jesus exposes the deception and hatred of the scribes and Pharisees. He's exposing them. On the seventh woe, they are exposed. They're naked. Like Adam and Eve in the garden, they find themselves wearing the cheap imitation of fig leaves, saying, this will not do. Your cheap covering, how you're living your life, I will not have this. That's what God the Father said to them in the garden. And Jesus is calling them out. And here they are standing in their righteous fig leaves, covering their nakedness. And he says, this, no, 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 no. This will not do. This will not do. Jesus then reveals their future plans. He says, fill up then the measure of your father's. What does that mean, fill up the measure of your fathers? What is he saying? He says, continue what your fathers did. Continue on because you say that you love the prophets. And I'm the greatest prophet standing before you. The prophet of prophets. The prophet of all prophets. Here I am standing in front of you and you hate me. So how dare you say that you love the prophets who came before me, who spoke of me. You don't love the prophets. You'll kill more prophets. In fact, you'll kill the greatest prophet. All of this that he speaks to them means that he's starting with himself. They kill Jesus, and then they continue on after the truth bearers. That's right, the truth bearers, because they didn't like the truth. That's why they killed Jesus. How do we see the sovereignty of God in giving his son on the cross? Because it is God the Father who gave his son after all, right? I mean, it wasn't like Jesus got snatched away from God the Father when God the Father wasn't looking and they killed him. And God the Father goes, oh no, what happened to my son? No, God the Father puts his son on the cross, but how is he going to do it? He's just going to let these guys live out their will under the power of sin and they put him on the cross. That's how it's carried out. That's where you see the responsibility of man, how man acts according to his will underneath the sovereignty of God. It is mysterious. It is something that causes us to scratch our head and go, wow, that that causes me to think more. And you should think on these things. But yet we see why. It's because they have hatred in their hearts. God the Father gives his son over to these men who hate his son. 1 Thessalonians 2, 15 and 16, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. Here it was. So always to fill up the measure of their sins. So that's what they're doing. They're just filling up the measure of their sins. As they put Jesus on the cross and they kill the prophets, they're just filling up the measure of their sins. For what purpose? For the wrath to come. The wrath of God to come. And it would come upon them at last. But the wrath has come upon them at last. 
So why are they liars? Why are they murderers? It's easy to call them liars and murderers, but, but why? Why couldn't they just be good? Why can't they just be prophets who read the word and go, this is a good word. Let's, let's love Jesus. Let's just love Jesus. No, let's not put Jesus on the cross. No, let's just love him. Why were they liars and murderers? I mean, after all, aren't they the children of Abraham? Don't they come in the line of Abraham? This was their boast in John 8, 39. They answered him, Abraham is our father. And they believed this. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I'm one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Right arm, left arm, left foot. They didn't want to praise the Lord, but they wanted to be children of Abraham. And it was impossible to just be one and not the other. And so... They don't receive the great promise. They reject Jesus, the greatest prophet. And here's why. Because after all, they are children. As you are children, as I am a child, I'm part of a children. They are children of Satan. That's who they're children of. They say, oh, we're children of Abraham. And Jesus looks back at them and he says, no, you're children of Satan. John 8, 39 through 47. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, would you be doing the works Abraham did? But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You were doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God, and I am here. I came not on my own accord, but he sent me. So Jesus didn't just sneak out of the kingdom. He didn't just come down when the father wasn't looking to just kind of live among us and see what life in the flesh was all about. No, God the Father sent him. And if God the Father sent him, they're connected. And if you hate Jesus, you don't love the Father. That's what he's saying here. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. And that's why people don't understand the gospel. Because they cannot bear to hear the word. When you go share the gospel with lost man, do not be surprised if he hears and turns away. Because man, in his own strength, in his own determination, in his own flesh, cannot bear to hear the word. So don't give up. Don't give up sharing the gospel with that person who turns away or who says, I don't want to hear anymore. Maybe you walk away, you pray for them, you go right back. To my brothers in, in Pakistan, as you hear this today, keep going, persevere, share the gospel. Be patient, be kind, be loving. Don't give up. It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. Verse 44, you are of your father, the devil. 
and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. It's hard to stand in the truth when you aren't capable of being truthful. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Wow. So he's speaking to scribes and Pharisees, and he's saying the reason you don't hear this truth is because you're not of God. What do we do? Do we just shut down there and say, too bad, scribes, Pharisees, you're not of God, so you're a waste of time? No. There would be the strictest of Pharisees to come. Named Saul, who would be redeemed and be named Paul. God's not giving up on all of them, but he's telling them, if if you're not of me, you're not going to hear these words. That means you're going to lie and you're going to murder my prophets, my truth, my word. This is why he calls them serpents and brood of vipers. Is that just by coincidence? No. Matthew 12, 34, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So not only do they speak evil, but also they practice evil because they're children of Satan. They practice just like their father. They're led by their own desires. They're led by sin. So that leads to this question. If he lays all of this out for them, then there's a really good question that comes up. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? If you deny the truth, how do you escape hell? I think Matthew 7, 21 through 23 sheds some light on this question. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Every time we read this verse, I'm sure there is fear that hits you, that hits me when I look at this and go, whoa, okay, God, are we good? I don't want to be one of those workers of lawlessness. I want to make sure that I am in good standing. The only way you have good standing is not to look at the works you've been doing, but to look to the works of Jesus Christ. And there will be many who think they're going before the Father one day to get into heaven, who thought they did good, who actually thought they loved Jesus. But they only love Jesus when they can speak for Jesus. They don't love Jesus when Jesus speaks to them. And that could be you today. That's been all of us at one point in time. And here was their downfall. They were covered in the wrong blood. 
See, we want to be covered in the blood of Jesus. But they're covered in the wrong blood. We see in verse 35, And so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. You're just like Cain. You're covered in your brother's blood. You're murderers. And soon you're going to be shouting, crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify him. Why? Because you're covered in the blood. Be righteous brothers. Why do we see Abel and do we see Zechariah? It could be one thought is that in the Hebrew Bible, Zechariah is the last book and so mentioned is Zechariah is the last prophet to be killed before turning over to the New Testament. So you have the whole Old Testament here covered from the beginning to the end. That's probably the most common thought here, from first to last. And yet they're just like the ones who have gone before them. And finally, Jesus speaks of impending judgment because there is judgment to come for them as there is judgment to come for us Verse 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And at that point, microphone Drop, Jesus leaves. He's headed to the cross. He's done with Jerusalem. What's the impending judgment for Jerusalem? The house is left desolate. The temple will be left bare. They'll continue to worship in the temple after Jesus is gone, but it means nothing. And 40 years later, 40 years, Rome will come in and destroy Jerusalem, and will destroy the temple, and will not leave one stone left upon another. This was a major historic pinpoint in history, right here. The temple being destroyed, not one block left upon another. Meaning that old way is gone, and now Jesus Christ has come, and he's finished the good work. And with Jesus finishing the good work, if you deny him, how will you escape judgment to hell? What's your hope today? What do you stand on today? What do you care about today? Is it Jesus Christ? There's no other way. For some of you, you hear this and you go, I know, I know, I know, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man can tell me. That may be familiar to you, but to many, it's not. That's why we go and tell, and that's why we don't skip a Sunday where we point to Jesus Christ as the way, the truth, and the life. And here you see right before us the table in which we will come and receive communion in just a few short minutes. As we come and receive communion, what are we remembering? The body of Jesus Christ who did the good works, who did all the good works, Because we don't do anything good. There's none who does good. No, not one, Romans 3.10. So we look to the body of Jesus Christ, our hero of the text. When you look at the prophets, when you look at all of those who came before Jesus, none of them are the heroes 
of the story. So you get it. None of them are heroes. None of them. They all fail. But there's only one who doesn't fail. One who doesn't fall. One who doesn't disobey. One who doesn't stray. That's Jesus. Jesus is the hero of the Bible. So there is no need for a temple anymore. And if there's another earthly temple to be built on this earth, of what purpose would it stand for? We're the temple, church. The Holy Spirit lives in you. He's building us up, one brick after another, one redeemed follower of Christ after another redeemed follower of Christ, building us up as the kingdom of God. There's no need for an earthly temple. There's a need for us because he has given us the privilege to go forth and declare his name. We are to go forth as the kingdom of God on this earth. Amen. What a blessing. What grace. Because I said earlier, it's a temptation for us to point to these Pharisees and scribes and say, oh, yeah, bad shame. But that's us. Because we never naturally loved Jesus to begin with. We never naturally loved God the Father to begin with. We never wanted the Holy Spirit to come live in us so we would know how to do good to begin with. That's why we needed God's grace. And so as we come to a close today, we see that once again we're reminded there was a presentation of righteous activity. It was all a deception stemming from wicked mentality. So here's a question that I have for you today. Are you performing righteous activities stemming from a wicked mentality. Are you just playing charades? Are you really living your life for the honor of God, for his glory, for his praise, for his namesake, not your namesake, not for somebody else's namesake? Do you love Jesus? You say, how do I know? How do I know if I love Jesus? You know what I think a sure way to tell if you love Jesus or not? You love the Bible. You love the Bible. Because it wasn't your Sunday school teacher growing up who left you the Bible. It wasn't your parents who left you the Bible. It wasn't any leader who left you the Bible. Jesus left you the Bible. You want to love Jesus, you love his word. Or else you'll be just like the prophets who say they love Jesus, but they never read the word. They say they, or be like the Pharisees who said that they love the prophets. But they never followed the word. And we say that we love Jesus, but then we come back and say, but I don't read the Bible. It should challenge us. This isn't something we should just hear and, and cast off. Like we should really examine right now. If we're not loving the word, then we should ask the question, are we loving Jesus? And in the same way as the Pharisees and the scribes, isn't it very dangerous to say that they love the prophets, but they didn't love the word of the prophets? Because then they could make the prophets speak. And how many conversations have you had and have I had with people who say, we love Jesus, but I don't, I don't like it when you speak of Jesus in that way that he said those things. I don't want to think of Jesus that way. It's not up to you to think of Jesus in whatever way you want to. Jesus is Jesus. It's profound. 
You read his word. Do you love what he says? Do you love what he says? Do you love the Jesus of the Bible or do you love the Jesus that you have made up in church culture? Because there's a difference. There's a difference. So as we come to the word and we look, we ask the question, are you performing righteous activities stemming from a wicked mentality? Coming to church, reading the Bible even, praying, sharing the gospel, being dressed up, whatever it could be. I mean, we have many things that we do in the name of religion today to make us feel clean, to make us feel good about ourselves. What's our heart in this? Jesus exposes the deception and hatred of the scribes and Pharisees, and Jesus speaks of impending judgment. So a couple more questions. Have you been exposed by the word of God? Have you read the word and gone, whoa, wow, that's me. That's me. God, that's me. Like, I'm the sinner. I'm the Pharisee. I'm the scribe. I'm the one picking up the stones. I'm the one at the cross yelling, crucify him. I was there when he was crucified. You were there when he was crucified. We're sinners. Say, oh, I would never do that. I would never do that. Then my question is, have you been exposed by the word of God? Because when I've come face to face with who I am, wow, there I look and go, I am of all most guilty. I am a liar. I am a murderer. I am an adulterous man. You say, whoa, whoa, whoa. They let you preach here saying that? (laughs) It's the truth. When we hold up to the word of God, what do we see? We see that we have sinned. We fall miserably short. Are you aware of the impending judgment to come upon those who stand in those sins alone? When I say I'm a murderer, I have hated. I have hated other people. When I say that I'm an adulterer, I have entertained thoughts that are not glorifying to God. When I say I have lied, I act one way while feeling another way. If it were not for Jesus, I stand condemned in judgment to hell forever. Are you aware of the impending judgment? Meaning, let me ask you this question. Are you a follower of Jesus Christ today? Do you follow Jesus? Are you following Jesus? Or maybe you're intrigued by Jesus. I think there's a difference of the two. I believe there's some of you in this room today. You're very intrigued by Jesus, but you're not following Jesus. You like some things about Jesus, but you don't like everything about Jesus. The biggest thing you may not like is that you die to yourself, that you repent and you trust in Jesus today if your heart is beating out of your chest, if it's weighing heavy, you're hearing this and you're going, I need to follow Jesus, then right where you are, do not delay. Repent, repent. Father, I'm a sinner. I have fallen short. Trust in Jesus. Make the good confession. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. Follow Jesus. For if we reject Christ and these woes here spoken, these are the things we have to look forward to. The judgment to come. 
So are you associated with the liars or murderers or with the way and the truth and the life? If your answer is, I don't know, or I'm with the liars and murderers. I stand on my own today. I don't follow Christ. And now is a good time to come and talk with us about following Jesus. Don't go through another day. Like, here, here's the grace of God. That although we have all failed, God has a great love that will overcome all of those sins that we have committed. And you don't have to live in your past. You don't have to walk around guilty. You can walk away from here being a freed man in Christ. Loving Jesus. If somebody were to say, Brian, what's the greatest gift of being a follower of Christ? You know what the greatest gift is? That I can love God. It's not heaven. (laughs) Although I do look forward to it. It's that I can love God. That is the greatest gift. Being in a right relationship with God. Do you have this right relationship today? If you do not, take out your bulletin. Right there it says, I want to know more about following Christ. Or maybe you have a question you want to write down. In all seriousness, would you just check that? Would you say, hey, I want to talk with you about following Jesus. Just put your name to it, put a number, whatever it is, or come talk to us. As we're receiving communion, and because communion is only for the church, because after all, as, as the church, we remember what Christ has done for us. Communion is not meant to lead somebody to salvation, although I do believe that in teaching why we do communion, people can be saved. But if you're not a follower of Christ today, it's, this table is not open to you. And I think after what you've heard today, it's not because we think we're better. It's just because Jesus is better. And you must first follow Christ before you come to the table. But if you're coming to the table today, it's because you recognize all that he has done for you. And may we come with hearts filled with joy and with gratitude that we can take of the bread and dip into the cup and eat and remember today what he has done for us. But if today you're not a follower of Christ, I'll be standing right in the back. You come talk to me. We have some pastors going to be standing off to the side. Come talk to us. This is a time when we come to communion This between you and the Lord, not between you and the next person sitting to you, but you and the Lord. So you move as God so leads. I'm going to pray, ask God's blessings over this table, and then I'm going to ask our men to come, our men to come forward and to be served first, and then we will serve communion. So let us pray. Father, as we come to the end of these seven woes, Lord, we all stand exposed. And our only hope is that we can be left standing in Christ. Covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's what we remember when we look to this cup, Lord, the blood of Christ. When we consider a cup, we also remember that he drank fully the cup of wrath, not leaving one drop for us. He paid for us on the cross. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that we can remember this once again today. Visually, that we may taste of it in one small way.
So I pray your blessings over this communion time, over this table. May we come in a worthy manner, knowing the only way we can come is in Christ. We ask your blessings. In Jesus' name, amen.